0: I am very pleased to introduce you today to Dr. Lisa Lucas. Dr. Lucas is an educational innovator who brings decades of experience as a teacher, coach, administrator, consultant, and professor. She's a professor at Westchester University and also works with clients around the world to be more resilient, reduce stress, and increase happiness and well being. She's the author of Practicing Presence, a book full of mindfulness and stress reduction practices designed to foster mental habits that can improve attention, clarity, and creativity. It is now my pleasure to bring you to my interview with Dr. Lisa Lucas. Karen, it's so exciting to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for agreeing to be here and giving up some of your time to tell us a little bit about your story. So if you would just start with telling us your story and how you got into dentistry, we would love it. And then we'll go into some questions.
1: Yeah well thank you very much for having me and my story hopefully will be a little bit different because as you can tell from my accent I'm originally from the UK um, and I moved to Bentonville in the United States five years ago. So I got into dentistry back in England. Now my whole family were doctors and I had grown up watching my parents be in medicine and surgery my whole life and I saw all the trials and tribulations of being a doctor and I knew that I didn't want to be a doctor but I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to be and crazily school gave us like a questionnaire to fill out hundreds and hundreds of tick boxes of what do you want to do and mine came back and my top number one choice on the survey was dentistry.
0: Wow. I didn't know that they had something like that. What a great thing.
1: Yeah. So dentistry came top of my list, which I was relieved that medicine didn't come top of my list because I knew that I wanted to be a little bit different. And I went to, so I applied to dental school. Now in England, the difference is at age 18, when you finish school, you go straight into dental school. There's no undergraduate degree that you have to do straight in. So at age 18 I started in dental school. and um, it takes five years in England to get that first qualification of a Bachelor of Dental Surgery. And that was my starting point. I was at the University of Newcastle upon Tyne, and then I went and did my postgraduate training at the University of Oxford. Um, and that was a fantastic opportunity to be there with some really great minds and great people. And from that point, I went into family dentistry and I I loved it. I loved my job. I loved what I did. And I moved around from various training practices that I worked in and eventually found the job that I wanted. um, Working part time, because in England, very rarely do dentists work full time, like full five days a week. I think everybody would always aim to do four or maybe four and a half. So I think I started off at four days a week and... I was pregnant with my first daughter when I was 26 and it gave my husband and I a bit of an opportunity to reflect and see where were we living what were we doing and how did we like want life to look like and we realized that we needed to have some family close by because at this point in time we were living near London and my family lived up in Yorkshire and so did my husband's family so we decided to go back up to Yorkshire and I was then in the position of looking for a job. And family dentistry to me, I found quite stressful, to be honest. I wasn't a big fan of crowns or root canals. Um, I loved the relationship I could build with my patients over a prolonged period of time and getting to see children grow up and families develop together. But I had the opportunity to go into orthodontics when I got back. Yorkshire to where my family was and it was the best decision and move that I ever could have made and orthodontics had been something at university that I felt was very dry it wasn't something that I was particularly interested in I just did it to get the box ticked to say yes I've done that part of my training but when I actually got to be doing the orthodontics myself I just I fell in love with making smiles for my patients. And that kept me super happy. I had the best job in the world working in an absolutely fantastic specialist orthodontic practice for 12 years. And then we moved to the United States.
0: Wow. Did you have to start all over?
1: Yeah. And I left behind the job that I loved and we thought we were coming just for two years initially. So I thought I'd press pause on the orthodontics just for two years, but the biggest thing that I encountered when I came here was a loss of professional identity. And that, I didn't realize how much that would affect me because I'd been known as Karen the orthodontist. And then all of a sudden, I had the question of who was Karen? Because I was no longer defined by my profession and I was defined by my relationships to other people. So my relationship to, I was Josh's wife, and i was the mum of my two girls but karen didn't seem to have an identity i didn't have a work visa when i when i arrived here to start off with so i had the opportunity for the first time in my life to be a full-time mum and probably over my years of being a dentist and with my children i had always looked at those women quite jealously and thought i wish that could be me i wish i could do that And I now had the opportunity opportunity to do it. And it was fantastic to start off with. And I felt like I was doing a brilliant job at looking after the house, looking after my girls, looking after my husband. So it probably took about six to nine months. And I realized that I was bored. But it wasn't a really obvious thing to start off with. And small things that you would normally do just in the course of getting up in the morning and going to work and not even think about became an issue. And the one thing it was loading or emptying the dishwasher. And I would stand in front of the dishwasher in the morning and how it would take me forever to get the dishwasher emptied. And I had to make up a game for myself and set a timer and say like, got five minutes, get the dishwasher emptied. And I just had to find ways to motivate myself to do these small chores that then became really big tasks in my mind. And I had the insight one day, and I was like, this is, you're gonna need to sit down and think about what's going on here because this is silly, this feeling of frustration over these things. And I then came up with the thing, the idea I had to do something. I couldn't just let me be with the housework and the chores and the dog walking and the coffees and things like that. So at that point I used my time where I still couldn't work and earn any money and it's very difficult to transfer a dental qualification internationally and where I live in Bentonville in Northwest Arkansas we have no dental hospital or anywhere like that where I could like do the extra education that I would need to transfer that qualification over. So I decided to take a step away from doing clinical dentistry and I was trained as a certified professional life coach. And it was, I knew that I had to do something that was connected to being with people. I would not be very good if you put me in an office with a desk job. Um, I had spent too long being my own boss. Um, So I trained as a life coach and then I got my accreditation with the International Coaching Federation which was very important for me to get that. Personally, I think just because we've come through these scientific education and training that we've always had to provide something to show that we meet the gold standard. And I wanted to be that person to say, hey, I am the best of the training that a coach can be. So I got my accreditation with the International Coaching Federation. And towards the end of last year, we were very fortunate that our green card application got approved. Um, which meant that I could then start working. So I set up my company, Balance Doctor, where I now support busy dentists and physicians um, who lead very busy, hectic lives at work, but they want to maximize their time when they're at home. So I now support those people in my role as a coach.
0: Oh, that's so exciting. So uh, lots of questions come into my mind. So first of all, let's go back to orthodontics. So were you self-trained in ortho? You didn't have to go back to school in England for that? I was
1: very fortunate that I, it's it's a, it's a very different setup in the United Kingdom to how it is here. And there is specialist training that orthodontists can go through to be a specialist orthodontist. But I had a job and a practice where, and this is where the two terms don't really cross over, But I was called a clinical assistant. And in this, in America, an assistant would be what I would refer to as my dental nurse, the person who sits by my side and helps me. But in England, this role is performed by a dentist themselves. So I was the clinical assistant and I went on training courses and went and did education as well as being trained on the job to do orthodontics. So I was so, so lucky.
0: That's great. And it's
1: surprising that that you didn't
0: like crowns, but obviously you found what you, you liked and were passionate about. So isn't that what it's all about? Because it, it makes us happy. I mean, we have to be doing
1: what makes us happy. I think that is the most important thing. And I also think that it's so important for people to remember that whatever you choose as your first choice, That's not your choice for life. It doesn't have to be. Just because you made a decision on day one that you were going to follow one path, you can be brave enough and make a change and do something different to find that thing that made you happy. And for me, the orthodontics was the thing that made me super happy. Yeah,
0: I I can tell. I can tell just the way you talk about it. It's great. So fast forward. So tell us a little bit about going for your coaching certification. What is that like? because I'm sure somebody in the audience is thinking about doing the same thing. And, you know, it'd be nice to know a little bit more about that. And then I'd be fascinated for you to tell us a little bit more about the international coaching federation, obviously, you know, isn't an exam, all that kind of stuff. So we can start with the other piece first though.
1: Yeah. So to learn, to become a coach, um, I attended a coach training school. They're based in Portland in Oregon, which is called coach training world. And the reason that I picked them, there are hundreds of coach training schools um, that are accredited with the International Coach Federation. But I picked this one because they taught on their philosophy of whole person coaching, which is believing in that every little part of your life all has a role to play in the overall person. It's very much a holistic um, approach at coaching rather than you'll find some places that will train business coaches and some places that might train a well-being coach but the whole person coaching model believes that you can't be maybe a great businesswoman if your personal and family life is out of balance because it's pulling you away from being the great businesswoman and it's like a whole web that if you imagine a fly lands on a spider's web the web tips to the side and that's like life if something's pulling you one way that web will not be stable in the center. So I chose their coach training and there were six intensives that we had to do. And it was great because I chose this coach training program because it was so interactive with each other. There are a few of them that you log on and you watch the videos. And once you've watched the videos, then you can do some assessments to show that you've learned the information. But this was live in person done virtually, or you could go to Portland if you wanted, weekend classes with a cohort of other people who were doing the same thing at the same time as you. So we got so much practical experience over the weekends, the opportunity to ask questions and be involved in a really intensive way. So the coach training was hard work. It was intense, it was intensive, even though they described it as an intensive for six weekends and on the final one I was lucky enough to go to Portland to be there in person Uh, this was back in 2018 so before any of this travel was limited or anything like that so I went and did that and after that point when you have your I was a whole person certified coach at that point I then knew that I was on the track to get my accreditation with the International Coaching Federation and to do that you have to be assessed and sit an exam and pass the exam that you can demonstrate the core competencies that the international coaching federation require of a coach and there is so much ambiguity nowadays over this term coach and it can mean so many different things and you'll meet so many people that will say i'm a coach but in a life coaching sense and the international coaching federation a coach will not tell you the right way to do something and they rely very much on the wisdom and the knowledge of their client that they hold all the answers really it's just by me asking the right question uses that person's expertise and wisdom and they come up with their own answer because that's where the magic and the power of coaching lies is that you have the answers within you it's just It's difficult to see from one perspective or from your point of view, what the answers are. And I would use the analogy of a water bottle that when, before you are being coached, you are inside the water bottle and you know, there's a label on the outside, but you can't read what it says. And a coach is going to help you come along and they can help read that label and point out to you what it does say. So the International Coaching Federation are the gold standard governing body of coaching. um, And they uphold this. Um, It's very close to their hearts that people see this distinction of what coaching is and also what coaching isn't. So coaching isn't therapy. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. I'm also not a mentor in a way that I'm not going to tell you what to do but in my practice now I have first-hand experience of being a busy dentist in practice trying to combine life as a dentist or orthodontist and life at home as a parent and the cook and the cleaner and the dog walker and the maintenance woman and all these other things that go on that I do have that experience and I will, some, I will share strategies with my clients over things that have worked for me, but I always ask people's permission before I do that because I can't, it might not work if it's my idea. So I will try and see if my clients have ideas um, and then I will always ask permission, like, may I, may I make a suggestion? Um, and then if they're willing, they can have my suggestion, but I'm very careful not to tell people what to do because It's always so much more powerful if they can come up with it themselves.
0: I I find it fascinating. I I have had multiple experiences with coaches and find it fascinating when your subconscious brings to the forefront exactly what you're supposed to do. And you have one, never thought of it before. Two, you know, weren't aware of it on a conscious level. But when you are asked the right questions, it is amazing and powerful how much headway you can make. I don't know that many people understand that power that we do have and how impressive it is. So that's great. So congratulations, because that's a, a great end to your story in dentistry, not that you're leaving dentistry, but that. You know, you certainly have found a way to use your experiences and pass along more insight to all of us that are kind of struggling with balance in our lives and in figuring it all out. So, congratulations, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, how far away is the closest dental school to you?
1: It's about three and a half hours to Little Rock from here. Yeah, it's too far to go. Yeah, in terms, I think that's the one thing that, for me, dentistry was always. It was a fantastic choice of career because it enabled me to balance having a family and working that I could do both um, and I could choose to work I was in a fortunate position as much or as little as I wanted really to fit in with that evolving flow of life that goes with it and um, yeah I was super lucky but trying to now at the the point when you move internationally it's like you pick up your whole life and you throw it up in the air and there's you're trying to you start again from scratch i didn't know one single person when i came to the united states let alone even one dentist so i was having to build a life from scratch you have no family or no support network and i was the person that was looking after everybody in this new world that we were living in so for me to try and juggle to I mean, I remember how hard it was at dental school to do all of that revision and work and studying and or to juggle that with being a mum at this point in time. I thought, well, I've been there. I've, I've done it. And how can I still now stay in this world? Because dentistry feels like my home. It's what I know, I'm still super interested and I read you know, journal articles and people share things with me and I'm still super interested in it all, but how can I be involved and be part of that world but in a slightly different way? So I'm super pleased that I found this, this little niche for myself.
0: That's great, well, congratulations. It is a brave family. Um, I, I will say that family because you guys came as one. But it is a brave family that can pick up and leave, especially with, with a support system that you both, you know, with, with both your parents and your family in the same location that you were. It's hard to do, um, but, you know, career um, advancement, you know, kind of you know, necessitates that sometimes. So uh, I think it's great that you've done it and uh, hopefully that you've had a great experience. But of all places, Arkansas in the middle of the country,
1: that is a very common reaction that I get when I tell people that I live in a uh, Northwest Arkansas, but I now, am Bentonville and this part of the world's biggest fan. Um, it is number one, absolutely beautiful. It is full of trees and nature and green. And I mean, winter's a bit Brown. It's a bit Brown outside now, but it's absolutely gorgeous. It's all about the outdoors. Uh living outside and we live so Bentonville is the home of Walmart um, which is why we're here Um, and the Walton family who own Walmart are very very philanthropic and give so much back to the community that we live in that the facilities and the opportunities that we get here are next to none they would rival a big city in the United States for, I mean, pre-COVID for all the speakers that we would get. We have our own international film festival where the movie stars are in town for the week. It is incredible. And now we have, um, they are now billing Bentonville as the mountain biking capital of the world. Um, And they are building, I think, two miles of trail of mountain bike a week here wow that's amazing unbelievable and i live at the top of what they call cola mountain and uh, we've got direct access into the trail from here so oh my
0: gosh that's so exciting yeah i have never been and and i wasn't sure if you were near where walmart's was but obviously that would be make perfect sense why
1: you're why you're there so how exciting good for you guys Yeah, and also crystal bridges museum of american art is here And that is a world-class museum in Bentonville that is free to go in because it's funded by, subsidized by the Walton family. So we have some amazing things. It's a big tourist destination now. We get a lot of tourists here.
0: Well, that's fabulous. That's great. So moving on to some questions, tell me, you know, who was your biggest inspiration in your life and
1: a little bit of why? I think the answer has to be my parents, both of them. Equally, they were both the first person in their families to go to university. And my dad is from Poland. He was born in Poland and he came to the United Kingdom in 1973, I think. And he came as a doctor. And everything that my family have is because of my mum and dad's hard work that's just like, they came from having not very much to having, you know, to building their successful careers as doctors and seeing that. And I think something struck me when my parents retired and I went to their retirement parties and I heard people talk Mm -hmm. about my parents and listening to the way that they described them and listening to the way that, my mum was described as this, as a woman, you know, she cared so much about her, pay, her patients. You could see that. Um, and then how much effort and work they'd put in for me and my sister and their careers. And I thought at that point in time, if I am half as good as my mum in having, you know, looking after my family and juggling work and everything else, then I'm going to be doing pretty well because the two of them were just incredible examples to me of people who worked hard and, you know, were rewarded um, by working hard. So
0: absolutely, absolutely, I think
1: that's where it comes from is seeing that example. Can you recall a piece of advice that they, either one of them might've given you that you still use today? I think my dad would always have said to me, always be like, friendly and smiley and genuinely mean it that you're friendly and smiley and open and want to listen and talk to people and I think his advice probably thinking back would have been and you treat everybody the same it does not matter whether that person that you're talking to is the most senior professor or if it's the person who comes in to clean the clinic at the end of the day it is, it does not matter that everybody is equally important within a team. And that for me, I have used that advice my whole life. And I do like to think that I can get on and converse and be respected. And I give that respect back to anybody in whatever position they are in, or wherever they've come from, whatever their background, it doesn't matter. It's each person is equally important.
0: Yeah, the rule in my office was nobody leaves until everybody takes the trash out. Yeah, that's a good one. Which means that,
1: you know, it doesn't
0: matter who is done first, nobody leaves until everything is done, you know, but that's the bottom line, because I believed in that, like, uh, if that trash needed to be taken out, and I was done with what I needed to do, I'd take out the trash, because that's what a team player does, right? And so... Who better than the leader of the team to, to showcase to their team members that you know you got to be willing to do everything that the team is willing to do for you? I think that that advice has has played well for uh, for my entire career as as it obviously has done for yours. Yeah. You know, people make an impact. Is there somebody on your dental in, during your dental school education that made a big impact on your
1: career and on your future? I think the person who probably made the biggest impact on my dental career profession um, was um, a gentleman called Di Roberts Harry. And he was the orthodontist who took me under his wing. And he is just, he's just the most fabulous guy to work for. And I worked for him alongside him for 12 years and he just, he taught me everything he knows. Well, he knows probably still way more than me about orthodontics because he is super experienced. But he shared all of that and he taught me how to be the orthodontist that I ended up being. And I'd like to think that I did a really good job, but he was the one that sort of showed me the way and taught me step-by-step. And I remember the first time I saw him bending a wire, putting detailing bends in a wire. And I just looked at it and thinking, oh my gosh, like how can you do that? Like it's a 3D puzzle of different bends on a wire. And yet I was talking about it the other day with somebody, somebody asked me, what did I enjoy most about it? And I was like saying, oh, I really like putting uh, these little bends in the wire at the end. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, and then it just came back to me that that was the thing that I was like, oh, how can you do that? How can you see that as a puzzle, like a 3D puzzle? But you know, he held my hand when I was first learning, and he was just—I couldn't have asked for a better, a better guy to work for. So he is my like person who influenced me most probably in dentistry.
0: I think that that is one thing that that many dental students, you know, would kill for, is just knowing that they could find somebody that would mentor them and take the time with them, especially their first, you know, year, eighteen months out. Because, you know, obviously this, this profession, you're learning all the time. You're, you're always practicing. You're always improving your skill set. But when you're first out and you don't have instructors anymore to guide you and you don't have anybody to ask questions, you don't feel safe anymore. And I think that that's a big thing that, you know, you, it, you need to develop that trust with somebody else that you're in a safe space that you can say what you need to say and get on with it, you know, and, and, and learn, but it's okay that you don't know everything because how
1: can you know everything in 18 months? You can't possibly, you just can't possibly. I think that's a really int- I mean, the, that topic is a huge topic and we've, I've been doing along with Dr. Laura Schwint and Dr. Laura Mark, we have a clubhouse room on a Friday which is called Dentists Have Feelings Too. And this is one of the topics that whatever we decide to talk about keeps coming back of what happened in dental school and how that forms, how we are as dentists going out into practice. And it's this need, seen, perceived need for perfectionism and accepting that things can't always be perfect but people are scared to put their hand up and say, hey, I need a little bit of advice here because they don't want to be seen that they, they don't know what they're doing. But as you know, as I know, dentistry is a lifelong learning thing. You know, there's not a day that goes by when you don't learn something from seeing a patient that maybe you haven't seen before. It's a bit different or the technique maybe worked well. And it's learning every single day. And I think that's what's so important that we try and instill somehow into dental education that it's not about always being perfect. And you're not going to be in a dental school, you're graded, aren't you, on what does your crown look like? What did the margins look like? How did the crown fit? All those things. But you're not very often graded on how did you talk to a patient? How did that relationship go? How did the human side of that consultation work? Even maybe if it didn't work out perfectly on the dentistry side, did that patient feel listened to and understood and valued and all those other things. And I think naturally dentists, when something's not going wrong, focus on that tiny little bit that maybe wasn't perfect and they forget to think, well, actually everything else went really well.
0: It's really hard. Yeah, it really is hard. You know, I, I, I consider this question, this next question already answered, but maybe maybe not. So I'm gonna give you the opportunity. So, you know, each one of us faces obstacles in our life. Now, obviously coming to the United States, not knowing a single person is a huge obstacle, but tell me if there's something else that you're really proud of
1: as an obstacle that you've overcome. I mean, I think you're right that that, that moving here And not know, I think if I pick on this one, so it's part of not knowing anybody is an Mm -hmm. obstacle. If you decide, if you think that you don't know one single person in a country and then you decide to set up a business in dentistry. And when I came up with this idea, I knew two dentists, my own family dentist and the orthodontist that I found to finish off my girl's brace treatment. That was it. So how do I set up a business serving dentists and physicians when I don't know any? And that has been a process for me that I have done so much trying to reach out and meet people and chat with, I love chatting with anybody, like anybody can give me a call and I will have a virtual coffee with them, but building these relationships with people um, and creating something has been my biggest challenge in my life to do this like I never thought it would be so much work to set up a business like this that I I have now but I am so proud of the fact that I now know so many people in dentistry that I'm now getting to the point where all these lines are connected if I could draw a spider diagram of everybody I knew and connect all the lines I would now see that all these people connect together and yet I've met some of them in completely different ways some even not through another dentist, but it all kind of fits together. So it's a big world, but it's not that big. Dentistry is a very small world. We
0: all seem to know each other and are connected in one way or another. So, yeah, I have I have known that my entire life. It is a very small profession, very small. Compared to, you know, other things that you could be in, it, it definitely has... Um, a, a, a very small hometown feel to it. Number one, and number two, I have found that even during COVID, even more so than I ever saw before, which was all the time I saw it before, the collaboration and the support of one another during COVID was unbelievable. Yeah. Yes, you could call anyone, and and I, I know that I could have called anyone, and anyone would have helped me during COVID. It. Was- it's just such an amazing profession. I thank God every day that I realized at 14, I wanted to be a dentist. <laughs> I don't know where it came from, but I just thank God every day that I, I, I entered this field. Um, I, funny thing, I want to go back to your comment about perfectionism. And I think that that is an innate quality that draws us to dentistry. So I think that there are innate qualities that, are, that fit professions better than other things. And that's one of them. You know, we like precise, we like procedures, we like steps, we like organized, right? And all of that fits right into dentistry perfectly. So I, I think that that it would be interesting to do an analysis of that someday and kind of you know, filter out exactly, well, are there really good qualities that people must possess in order to be good at dentistry? Uh, You know, obviously we know eye hand coordination is is extremely important, but I, I wonder if there's other things that we could correlate.
1: Yeah. I think that there must be positive sides of this archetype of perfectionist that benefit dentistry. Um, specifically doing tiny thing, you've got to be accurate. It, you've got to be a bit of a perfectionist to be worrying about the shape of uh, cavity preparation or is the bracket on exactly straight and things like that. So I think- Or is that that crown
0: prep margin exact all the way around? And is it flat? I mean, oh my gosh, I, I would put my big loops on and I'd say, oh my gosh, I gotta go back.
1: You know, <laughs> take that little bump out. I think you need an element of that to be a good dentist, but then it's putting into balance that the, the sh- what I would describe as a shadow side to the perfectionist doesn't come in. But my husband, like we're in the process of, we're just gonna start a new deck building out the back, And he knows that when I have people come to the house to do work, I put that level of perfectionism and things have to be straight or lined up or parallel. And he said, did you, did you tell that guy that came to quote for the job that, that um, you were an orthodontist and you like and I said, no, I'm going to wait until he's working and then tell him that. <laughs> but I know that if a plank of wood isn't like parallel with the other one, you're going to see it. I'm going to see it. And right away in two seconds. Yeah. And that's where I still now have those, like, it's an inbuilt, it's a developed, it's a, cultivated scale but you know things should things, things should be right
0: absolutely uh, <laughs> and it's a good quality to have I think I think it's a good quality to have
1: yeah. so I'm going to be watching the man who uh, makes my deck and uh, I'm going to be watching that things are <laughs> lined up don't fear warning though All right, so when you reflect back on
0: your younger years, would you say that you were a confident woman or would you say that you
1: have gained your confidence as you matured? I think I have always been appropriately confident for my age. I think definitely now I probably am at my most confident in my life, but I think that's just developed over a lifetime. Um, I went to an all-girls school and we were always encouraged that women could do anything. Women shouldn't be held back. We had, we were given that start in life at the school that would say, go out there and do whatever it is you want. Like don't let somebody stand in your way because you're a woman. And I was very lucky that I went to a great school and we were given opportunities to stand up and speak and present. And we developed those skills at school So I've never been shy or not wanting to do something or hide away, Um, but I think as the years have gone on and my experience in life has increased, then yes, I think my confidence increases and it still does to this very day that I still now sometimes surprise myself that I can be confident enough to stand up for myself Um, where probably even a couple of years ago, I probably would have been very much, oh no, no, I'll just fit in and do what everybody else is doing. But maybe that's something that COVID taught me that. So an example is that I was at a volleyball tournament with my daughter this weekend. And it's the first one that I have been to with her. My husband normally goes because I am so COVID cautious that I don't want to be in any of these venues with literally thousands of people. I haven't even eaten in a restaurant and I'm going to a volleyball tournament with thousands of people, but I go protected with my mask and I help wear my glasses and I'm super safe. But the night before the volleyball tournament, the team, the coach wants to have a group meal. And she said, let's all meet up. We'll go to whatever restaurant it was. We'll meet there. It's gonna be a bit of a wait because there's so many people in there before us. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, I'm gonna to have to say yes. And we're gonna to have to go. And then I was like, no, you stand up for what you believe in and just be honest about it. And you are going to feel way way better. So Mm -hmm. when we arrived at the hotel, I sent a message and I just said, look, really sorry. We are not gonna be able to attend this meal. I haven't eaten in a restaurant since COVID started. Um, I don't feel comfortable with it. It would be against everything that I have done so far. And I was the first person out of a group of parents to say no. Everybody else to this point had said, yes, yes, they will. They'll be there. And me and my daughter stayed in our hotel room. We got food delivered in and we watched a movie and it was a, we had a really lovely evening and I just reflected on it with her. And I said, do you know what? I'm really proud of myself that I stood up for what I believed in because I was considering going along, but I would have been uncomfortable. I wouldn't have been happy. I wouldn't have enjoyed myself. And I would have just said yes, because that's what I was supposed to do or I should do, perceived should. And uh, I stuck up for myself and I was really proud of myself that I did it. And then after I did that, that gave the confidence to some of the other parents to say, hang on a minute. There still is a global pandemic going on. I don't want to go and sit in a restaurant either. So that's where that's my newly found confidence. and I think I've learned that. as a result of COVID and having to protect ourselves and stand, like, it's a very divisive issue of, you know, how people, how people deal with this, what their opinions are. and And I'm, I just then thought I have to be true and authentic to me. Good. Congratulations. I applaud you because too often we
0: cave at that pressure and we shouldn't, we shouldn't ever cave in.
1: So I applaud you. So congratulations. That's I've I've thing. caved in too many times before to know that I don't feel good when I do that. That that was. And I think probably this weekend was the first time that I really said, "Actually, I'm going to do what I want to do."
0: Yeah, good for you. Good for you. Tell us something that people would be surprised to know about you.
1: Well, I think before I decided fully on going to do dentistry. I had a huge passion for cooking and I was desperate to be anything in the world of food. That's probably where my other passion would lie. And my mum, I found a cookery school that I could go to in London. It was the least cookery school in London, which is one of the top ones. And I was like, I want to go here. Like, can I can I take a year out before going to university and I'll do this? And my mum was very clever. Um, and she said, you go to university first and then I'll pay for you to go to cookery school. Anyway, the world catches up with you, doesn't it? And you finish dental school and you go straight into your dental job. There's no time then to say, I'm going to have a year out now. I'm going to go learn how to cook and then I'm going to come back because all those skills... just going to go rusty at that point in time so i didn't but i was very fortunate that in quite a few years ago now but back in england i was selected to be on a cooking program um, on tv and um i was i was a reserve for this cooking program i didn't actually get to go on but i got to go to london for a week i took a week off work and went to london for a week and was there as the reserve contestant and I got to see the cookery show being made and meet all the celebrity chefs and that was my passion so maybe I could have been a, a chef or a I'd like to have been a tv cook I think that would have been my thing um and have my own tv cookery show but it didn't happen I I used to apply in Eng- when I was in England to be on the Great British Bake Off and so many thousands of people apply for that that I never got chosen but that would still be a dream of mine to go on The Great British Baking Show. They, they call it here The Great British Baking Show, isn't it?
0: Wow, isn't that awesome? What a great story. My mom was a, a great cook and, um, you, know, you know, obviously we learned, all of us learned by osmosis, but, you know, nobody baked as oh, delicious as <laughs> she
1: did, so. What was the best thing she made?
0: Oh my gosh, there were so many. I think that that many of us the the favorites are her pies and the crust that she would make strawberry rhubarb was one of the favorite ones because my dad would grow the rhubarb and you know we'd buy fresh strawberries at the farm down the street so it was really a delicious delicious pie but I think about the sugar today and I think oh my gosh I, can't, <laughs> I, I taste sugary foods now because I don't eat it anymore and I think oh God, why did I ever eat this? You know, it really does taste awful when you when you go back. But um yeah, it does taste pretty delicious every <laughs> while. A good pie
1: like that. Yeah.
0: I know. I know. So how about a personal motto or a mantra that you live by? It, you know, you, you talked earlier about, you know, smiling and engaging with re, you know, in relationships and stuff, but You know, just, I don't know if you've got a tagline that you love to live by that you want to share.
1: Well, one that I came up for my, I used this for myself um, a few years ago. It was when I first came to America um, and that was pretty stressful. And I came up with this thing that I would say to myself when uh, my brain maybe like a lot of people's brain has very good at creating imaginative scenarios of all the possible outcomes for a situation. If there's, I'm thinking about something way in the future but I can have 10 scenarios and my brain would get very tired creating all of these 10 different scenarios. So to stop my brain doing that and just say, look, you're okay right now. I would say to myself, you're calm, you're confident and you're in control. And those three words said like that were just almost became, and they still, when I say it now, I still feel like, oh, calm. Because they were just my reset say, You're in, you've got this. Like you have the capability. When the time comes that you need to make a decision, you've got, you can do it. Like there is no need to worry about 10 different outcomes today and tire your brain out when you know that you have got the capacity to do it in the future when you need to.
0: That is a great one. I'm sure people are going to write that one down. That is a well, great one. I Go. now
1: use that now. That's what I have named um, my coaching program is called calm, confident, and in control, because that's how I want people to feel after they've worked with me. But it was something that's it's been in my mind for probably five years now. Today is my fifth anniversary of arriving in the United States. Congratulations. Oh my
0: gosh, your fifth anniversary today?
1: Yeah, today. I am five years old today. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, happy birthday and welcome to America. Thank you. So yeah, so that's what I've been using since I arrived. And it just fits when I was thinking, what do I call my program? And what am I working for? And I'm thinking these are the three words that really resonate with me with how I want people to feel calm, confident, and in control.
0: Wow, that's awesome. How about a guilty pleasure or a secret dream?
1: I like sitting down with my girls and watching The Bachelor. That's probably my secret guilty pleasure that I probably haven't admitted before, but I do like doing that. It's I think it's I think I like what it represents. And that's the opportunity that I get to sit down with my two girls and just spend some time with them and just be together. And that you could probably swap it out for any little bit of TV. We don't sit down and watch loads, but just once a week, if we get to do that, it's the, it's more the opportunity to be. Spend time together. Yeah. To be, to be with each other. So it's not too guilty. If you, if you frame it like that, it's uh, not too bad, but I think that's what I like to do.
0: One of our favorite things to do um, with my daughter, my husband, ex-husband now, but my husband and I and, and daughter would stay in our pajamas all day and just watch movies and so when we had a free day whether it was a snow day or something something you know not planned that's that was our favorite thing to do we'd get our blankets and our pillows and just cuddle up on the couch and just watch movies all day together and you know each one of us would have a turn it was it was great bonding experience so Something I'm sure your daughters will reflect back on and love too.
1: Yeah, we also have um, on an afternoon uh, when they get in from school, being very English, I like a cup of tea. And we have tea club in the afternoon when we get home. And that's just the opportunity where I will make each of us a cup of tea. And we actually just get to sit down with each other and have the cup of tea. And then we get on with all the other busy things that need to do and volleyball and homework and whatever else they're doing, but it's that opportunity. And we'll say to each other, do you want to do tea club?" <laughs> how fun.
0: Oh my gosh. I love it. Now, how old are your girls?
1: Uh, 17. Isabel is a junior at school at the moment. And Kate is 14. So she's a freshman. So I'm lucky that they are like my biggest, pride and joy um and they are my they're not little best friends anymore my 14 year old Kate she is 5'10 so and I'm only 5'5 so she's way taller than me she's not little but they are my my little best friends and uh I just love I love spending time with them and I think that's what's been so important to me over a career is that I have a career where I get to do that and I get to be me as well and I think that's that was part of the puzzle that was missing when I didn't have a role of who was Karen is that Karen didn't have that per- bit of who she was and that mental stimulation, because I think I really need that. But I, it's so important that I get to do both because very soon they'll be going to college and then I won't have them here anymore with me on an everyday basis. So I was just going to share a
0: piece of motherly advice with you. And that is, hang on to these moments because it goes by so fast. And the next thing you know, you're going to blink your eyes and they're both going to be gone. And they do go during college. You know, it's kind of like you, you get heartbroken, but they do come back. So it's 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 a hard transition for us moms to make being needed all those years and then not being needed at all and kind of like discarded. It's not really like being discarded, but it almost feels that way, I think, emotionally And so, you
1: know, just, it's coming. I can feel it's coming. I can feel it, but thank thank you for that advice. And it kind of follows similar that I read somewhere that when your teenager asks you to participate in something, just say yes every time, because it's not very often they let you in Mm -hmm. for that time to do something with them. So it may be nine o'clock at night and they say, Hey, do you want to bake a cake? well, you just say yes, because very soon they're not going to be here to ask you at nine o'clock at night to bake a cake with them.
0: No, in fact, you know, I I now have grandchildren and and, uh, so I spend more time with my grandbabies than I do with my daughter now. And, and you, you know, we still talk and share a fair amount, but very different because her responsibilities are different. And so it does change quite a bit. And, but they do go away and then they come back and, you know, you 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 get really happy again about having that connection back uh, because you're sad when it when it does go away. So
1: yeah, I can sense it. Like I look, I sit and look at them and like, oh my gosh, like I don't. What's life going to be like when you're not here? That I can't hug you every day. I know it's it's really hard. It's really hard.
0: I don't I don't ever remember crying about it, but I do remember being sad about it.
1: Yeah, everything in life is a phase, though. It is. It is. And life goes quick and it doesn't feel like I remember it like yesterday when I went. And I think that's where children find it hard to believe that it still feels like yesterday to you. But I remember what it was like when I went off to university and it was just exciting. Like I wasn't worried about what I was leaving behind. I was looking forward to what was to come, which is exactly the way it should be.
0: Right, right. And, and parents, you know, we do our job and then our, our role is to let them fly away, right? Fly out of the nest.
1: I'm excited to see what they do.
0: I, absolutely. I can't thank you enough, Karen. This has been a great afternoon of sharing and, and chatting with you. So thank you so much for your time. I wish you all the best in, in Arkansas and the development of your um, consulting and your coaching program. So good luck with that. And if there's ever anything, obviously, we can do for you you let me
1: know yeah it's been a pleasure thank you very much i've really enjoyed our conversation and now i fancy a, to eat a pie there you go <laughs> go eat a pie
0: and have some tea time
1: yeah that sounds good
0: all right thank you karen thank you so much for listening to the women in dentistry podcast with dr mj hanlon if you like our show and want to know more about us check out our website the women or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us for our next episode as we bring you another amazing woman leading the way for the next generation.